Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Stories told about a hole in the road it goes like this. Day one, I went for a walk and I fell into a hole. It wasn't my fault. I didn't see it. It took me a long time to get out. Day two, I went for a walk down the same road and I fell in the same hole. It took me a long time to get out. Why did I do that? Day three, I went for a walk down the same street. I fell in the same hole again. I got out quickly. It was my fault. Day four, I went for a walk down the same street. I saw the hole, and I walked around it. Day five, I went for a walk down a different street. We all have fallen and do fall in the hole of sin in life and often find it hard to get out of sin's consequences. And oftentimes we do like that story says, why did I do that? But we don't need to continue in sin and keep falling in that same hole habitually day after day. And that is the teaching of Paul in Romans 6. In this passage, Paul talks about the change for the believer, the different path we can take for our lives in our daily sanctification so that we, in the end, walk down a completely different street. Sanctification is the key word we're going to take a look at in this episode. Romans 6, 1-2 read, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans chapter 6 is an explanation of the power in the believer to not live like all the sins listed in chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 23. And in that passage, we learn about sins of ingratitude, wickedness, covetousness, envy, deceit, backbiters, pride, disobedience to parents, cursing, bitterness, and on and on. We each still retain an old nature after we believe. So every believer is still capable of doing any of those things, any and all of them. The believer can still live unrighteous and ungodly after we get saved. But Paul teaches us here that the power of sin was broken by the cross and now the believer can live righteous and godly by the grace of God. There is a sharp right turn between Romans 5 and Romans 6. Paul's subject turns from justification to sanctification or practical sanctification. Here are some differences between justification or being declared eternally righteous by God and our practical sanctification or the daily process of being set apart more and more to God in our daily life and being more and more like our Savior. Justification is that act whereby God declares you righteous in His eyes. Sanctification is that act whereby God works out Christ's righteousness in our lives. 
Justification happens at the moment you trust Christ as Savior and is never repeated. Sanctification happens moment by moment as you surrender your life to the Lord. Justification is an event. Sanctification is a process. Justification happens once and only once. Sanctification is gradual and continuous. Justification removes the guilt and penalty of sin. Sanctification removes the control and the power of sin. Justification cannot be repeated. Sanctification must be repeated. Justification is the work and miracle of a moment. Sanctification is the work and miracle of a lifetime. Justification gives you the merit of Christ. Sanctification gives you the character of Christ. Now, Paul had just said in chapter 5, verse 20, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. In light of that verse, he now asks in chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God in His superabounding grace through Christ has paid for and forgiven all the believer's sins, past, present, and future. We are secure in Christ, and nothing will ever change that fact. Paul then asks, what shall we say then? In other words, about this superabounding grace. Perhaps believers should not worry about sin in their lives, and we could continue in sin, because this would only result in the manifestation of God's abounding grace over sin and God's greater glory. Would not God's abounding grace shine all the brighter if we kept on sinning? Since we're righteous forever in God's sight, can't we just sin and live however we want? This is the question Romans 6-8 through 8 is meant to answer. And Paul's emotional answer to this kind of thinking is clear, and that is, God forbid, by no means, may it never be, perish the thought, justified believers in Christ should never just continue in sin that grace may abound. But why not? And how not? And that's the issue Paul deals with here. And Paul's teaching is how God's superabounding grace not only justifies us, it sanctifies us, which means it sets us apart from sin in life. His grace doesn't free us to sin. His grace frees us from sin and to have power over sin in life. After Paul says, God forbid... He gives the basis of his answer in the form of a rhetorical question. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? By the rhetorical question, Paul didn't expect an answer. He expects the reader to see the answer already in the question because rhetorical questions don't expect answers. They make statements. For example, if I went into my son or my daughter's room and asked them, as I could, How are you going to keep your room neat if you throw your clothes on the floor and never hang them up or put them in your dresser? I'm not looking for an answer or for information. I'm making a statement. You won't keep your room neat if you just throw your clothes on the floor and never hang them up. And that is the way Paul is using the rhetorical question in Romans 6 too. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
In other words, you should not live in sin any longer when you're dead to sin. And then he goes on to explain what he means by that in verses 3 through 14, that by the process of sanctification, believers are to become in practice what we are in Christ, dead to sin and alive to God. Romans 6, verses 3 to 4 reads, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Christian living depends on Christian learning. Duty is founded on doctrine. If Satan can keep a believer ignorant, He can keep them weak and powerless. Our sanctification is based on what we know. Paul says, know ye not. This is something crucial for all of us to know. That when we believe the gospel, that Christ died for our sins and rose again before God, at that moment we were baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. And that is not talking about water baptism. When you read the word baptism in your Bible, it does not always refer to water baptism. And there is no water at all in these verses. These are dry verses. To put water baptism in these verses is to rob the truth and the power that God is intending to convey to His church through his word here. Romans 5, 8 says, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 3 says, I died with Christ. And John Gregory Mantle wrote, there is a great difference between realizing on that cross he was crucified for me and on that cross I am crucified with him. The one aspect brings us deliverance from sin's condemnation. The other from sin's power. The word baptism here means to be placed into, united, joined, identified with. The moment we trusted Christ for our salvation, we were placed into Christ and united with Him, joined to Him eternally. And that is an incredible reality that a lost sinner is joined to the Son of God when they trust the gospel by faith alone. And that is only possible by abounding grace. And this leads Paul into the second step of his logic. If believers were baptized into Christ and joined to Him completely, then we were also united with His death. And since we are united with His death, then we've been placed into and united with His burial. And since we are united with His death and His burial, We are joined and united with His resurrection. And that's the logical sequence of thought. The believer is united with Christ so that what happened to Christ is counted by God as happening to us. And God established the union. We are in Christ and His death is our death. His burial is our burial. His resurrection is our resurrection. So when verse 2 asks, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
It is referring to our death with Christ when He died. Christ's death is applied to us now. But since Christ died once for all in the past and we are united to that death, our death to sin happened in God's way of seeing things on the day Christ died. Thus the instruction is not a present tense, we are dying to sin. Or a future tense, we will die to sin. Or an imperative, die to sin. Nor it is an, it's not an exhortation, you should die to sin. It's simple, past tense, reality, you died to sin. This simple truth is that if you are a believer, you have already died to sin in Christ. It's a past event, an accomplished fact. It means that now and forever you've been set free from sin. Set free from the ruling power of sin in your life by the cross. Now move forward with this knowledge of this unchangeable truth so that you might not live in sin any longer as you go forward. Through our union and identification with Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, we died to sin, we are alive to God, and we have newness of life in Christ. And what Paul wanted believers to know is that when we believe the gospel, even though we didn't see it, we didn't hear it, we didn't feel it before God, we are identified, made one with Christ, baptized into Him by the Holy Spirit, and at the same time, we are also united with Christ's death and His burial and His glorious resurrection. So now, His death becomes my death. And His resurrection becomes my resurrection and everything that entails. His victory over sin becomes my victory over sin. His triumph over the grave and over death becomes my triumph over death. His life becomes my life. His resurrection power becomes my power, which God wants me to use to live a life that glorifies Him in my practical sanctification, that daily process of being set apart more and more to God and being like Christ. We are made one with Christ at the cross, and by virtue of our union with Christ and His finished work, sin's penalty and sin's power has been forever broken for us. Because we are united with Christ in His resurrection life, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. By God's grace, it's put, now we should walk in newness of life. We should live a new life. Because we can live a new, transformed life by grace. Because in Christ, we are dead to sin and we have His life within and through our union with Christ's resurrection, we can appropriate the very power of the resurrection. A power which enables us to turn from sin, live in righteousness. And as that illustration said, walk down a completely different street. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, 
go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Discerning the Will of God is a 48-page booklet written by Pastor Ricky Kurth. What sincere believer hasn't sought God's will when facing big decisions, such as whom to marry? We even look to Him in everyday areas of life, such as which car to buy. Then, we also seek to understand God's will when we lose a child or other tragedy strikes. Discerning the will of God provides the believer with comfort in understanding God's will and direction in seeking it. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. The issue of this chapter is living in sin. We are not talking about sinless perfectionism and that the believer can never and does never commit a sin. The issue Paul is talking about is that we have been enabled to not live any longer therein in sin, in other words. In other words, Paul's teaching is that we have been enabled for sin to not be the master of us. We've been enabled to not sin habitually, for sin to reign in our lives as a constant lifestyle. Paul writes in verse 2 about living in sin. He talks about continuing in sin in verse 1. He teaches that we should not serve or be slaves to sin in verse 6. In verse 14, he writes about sin not having dominion or authority in life. We all fall into sinful thoughts, sinful attitudes, sinful actions, But Paul's teaching here is that when we place our faith in Christ as our Savior, at that precise moment we were joined to Christ's death and thus joined to His mastery over sin. And now through Christ, we can have mastery over sin in our lives. And we don't need to be a slave to sin. We don't need to be held down by sin. We don't need to be held back by sin in life. God does not want us to accept bondage to sin in life, which pulls us down. He wants us to take a stand in our liberty from sin and live on a higher plane unto God by faith in His Word. Our bodies are no longer helpless to sin. The power of sin is not to be the defining direction of our lives now, The Lord Jesus Christ is to be the defining direction in our lives. We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. The old man, our flesh, our body of sin was destroyed by Christ's death and us being joined to that in Christ. In Him, we are freed from slavery to sin. And now, our bodies can become the instrument of righteousness to the glory of God that Paul goes on to talk about. In our sanctification, God would have us live our lives manifesting Christ's resurrection, life, and power 
living a life of freedom from sin's control. The believer is not to live in what Christ died for. We have power over that. The believer has died to the old life of sin, raised to enjoy a new life of righteousness in Christ. Romans 6, 8-10 reads, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. In verse 8, Paul says that we believe that we shall also live with Him. Verses 9 and 10 support that belief in that verse in five steps. Verse 9a, we know that Christ rose from the dead. The work was done. Sin was dealt with completely. Death could not hold Him. He rose again. Verse 9b, we know that He dieth no more. He arose and He lives forever. Jesus Christ's life and His finished work was all sufficient and He will never die again. Verse 9c, we know that death hath no more dominion over Him. Christ is triumphant over death. Death is a defeated foe. Christ is master over death. Death has no dominion, no final authority over Him. He is the destroyer of death. Verse 10a, we know that in that He died, He died unto sin once. He died unto sin once for all. He dealt with and paid for sin completely, powerfully, imperfectly, and the Father was satisfied. He took care of the sin problem for all who are in Him. Verse 10b, we know that in, he, in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. He died and was raised, and He lives, and He lives unto God. Knowing and believing, trusting all this, is how we experience the present power of Christ's resurrection in our lives. God means for us to feel the firmness and truth of these five steps in our soul by faith. We have been baptized into and united with Christ's death and resurrection. These things that are true of Christ are true of you and true of me and our complete identification with Christ. Because we are baptized into Christ, we rose again in Him. As death could not hold Christ because sin was paid for in full, death will not hold us, and we will be raised. When we are raised, we will die no more, and death will have no more dominion over us. Because we are in Christ, because we have life eternal in Him. Having been crucified with Christ, we died unto sin once. Our sin problem, the power of sin, has been dealt with completely in Christ. And now that we live in Christ, like Christ, we are to live unto God in our sanctification. That is what Paul wants us to believe, to trust, to experience. The confidence of this, the power, the victory, the hope, the security, and the grace. And believing this 
is what makes our union with Christ a powerful experience now so that we live in newness of life in Christ now, day to day. Because sin can't enslave a person who has confidence in Christ, who puts their focus on their life and power in Him now and in the future. Romans six eleven to 13 Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Paul says in verse 11, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. I like that word reckon here. It means to make a decision based on a rock-solid reality. We are dead to sin in Christ. And we should constantly view ourselves that way. We should reckon ourselves to be what God has made us in Christ by grace. If we fail to believe that sin no longer has power over us, we will be much more vulnerable to yield to temptation to live in sin and allow sin to rule and direct our lives. But knowing the truth that God says in Christ we're dead to sin, then by faith reckoning that to be true and applying that to your heart, we can live dead indeed to sin in Christ and live a life of victory over sin by grace in our sanctification. Negatively, in verse 13, Paul writes that we should not yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness to commit sin, because the believer can do that. Positively, Paul writes, instead, we should yield, present, offer ourselves unto God as people who are alive from the dead in Christ. Speaking of our members with our eyes, and what we look at, our ears, and what we listen to, our mouths, and what we say, our hands, and what we do, our feet, and where we go, our hearts, and what we love, our minds, and what we think about, and the decisions we make. God wants these all to be instruments of righteousness. He wants us to be people who will allow Him to use all of us and who live alive unto God. Someone once asked George Mueller the secret of his service. He replied, There was a day when I died. And as he spoke, he bent down. Continuing, he said, Died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, taste, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure died to the approval or blame, even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. That's the testimony of one who lived alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what sanctification is all about. And may that be our testimony. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. 
We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.